When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to Refreshing Twitter every six seconds to see if we sign somebody an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Manipini and my very good friend. Bradley Adams. Hello, mate. We're signing Lissandra Martinez, signing Vieira, signing Jesus, signing Rafinha, Bradson Mykonos. We're going to sign me as a, as a third choice goalkeeper at this rate. Everyone's getting a contract. You're getting a contract. You're getting... <laughs> Oprah is getting a contract at this rate. Uh, Saliba extension. Are you in Mykonos? Have I got that right? No, you're not. No, no, I'm in, I'm in Ravenna in Italy. Right. I'm going to pretend I know where that is. Uh, why are you in Ravenna, Ravenna, Rosena in Italy? Um, so I'm, I'm doing a show on a, on a ship for a week and, um, Ravenna is, is one of the ports. So I, I was in Mykonos a few days ago. I've been in Mykonos and a couple of other Greek islands just, just Mykonos, mate. basically sat on my ass on a lounge chair, which has been lovely and getting, and getting paid to do so. So, you know, gotta make my, gotta, gotta make the money somehow. <sighs> All right for some, isn't it, mate? Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Right, I'm going to take my frustration out on you and talk about the transfer window. Um, there's not really any new news that we're going to be able to to sort of discuss, but we've had a significant amount of news over the last couple of weeks. And on mm. Friday, obviously, the Jesus stuff came out. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what you're seeing on your timeline, mate, but I'm seeing all sorts of accounts popping up saying Saliba's signed, so-and-so, is that the shit? Very good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mansbury gets safety briefing. We are still showing over five to get on board. Not been doing it. So please, we ask that you go immediately Why is that guy putting on a voice? you go and clear yourself off the list. A few moments later. Is this man ever going to stop talking or? Two hours later. Yes, we get it, mate. Safety. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking that hell. Way, that went on for a bit, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know what your timeline's looking like, mate, or the sort of the stuff you're consuming, but I'm seeing all sorts of accounts popping up. Say Martinez is done. Saliba's done. I mean... Look, priority is not strategy. And I will always say that it doesn't, you know, signing a player first. I mean, we signed Aaron Trusty in January. Do you know what I mean? You know, signing someone first doesn't mean they are the most important player. However, it does feel like we're getting a lot done very early, trying to get stuff done. I'm seeing all sorts of reports, you know, trying to get stuff done, you know, before pre-season and stuff. And as I think I said to you on a previous podcast, I'm always happy to wait. Like if we get the right deal, I'm always happy to wait. Obviously, it's ideal to get people in before preseason. But if we have to wait, as we did with the Odegaard deal or whatever, and Ozil, you know, we, we I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, but it feels like a lot is getting done very early. And I think that is down to Edu. Down to Arteta having that plan sorted a long time in advance. Edu is interview after the Fabio Vieira announcement was talking about you know this this stuff is seven eight months in advance. Um, but as much as I am willing to wait, it's credit to the club when they get stuff done early because um, it feels like the right thing to do. I mean, what's your what's your take on that? Absolutely, mate. And and the one thing to re- really consider from my point of view is that it's learning from previous mistakes. We have learned from the mistakes of last season of not having really important business done uh, where there were holes in the squad. And we we paid the price in, in three very heavy defeats. And then as soon as we did get our kind of our boys in, we, we started to kind of have a bit of lift off and start to really improve. So I think we've learned from that mistake as well. But I do just think it comes from a place of it's all well and good being able to wait and play the market if there's a market for certain positions and if you aren't, you know, filled with absolute holes. Like, we needed to get a striker and the striker market is so empty at the moment that there there almost isn't the opportunity to play the market because there are a lot of clubs that are desperate, you know. 
it, it, it's look, looking like we've beaten Chelsea, possibly Real Madrid, uh, definitely Spurs to the signing of Gabriel Jesus, which is amazing, you know, and the fee is also very, very good for a player of his calibre, even with a year left on his deal. It, it, um, I think what we're doing is we've got the right strategy of we're fixing the holes that we need to fix now. And then eventually, once those holes are fixed, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on removing the deadwood and doing some kind of situational opportunistic type deals. You know, we saw in, in Erdegaard come the end of the season that the poor boy was bloody knackered and needs someone who can kind of possibly cover that same role. Similarly with, you know, both Tierney and Party, I find it no surprise that we've targeted Lissandro Martinez, who has played exceptionally well at defensive midfield, centre-back and at left-back, when the two injuries that derailed our season were left-back and defensive midfield. So I think what we're doing is really, really smart. We're, we're learning from the lessons that last season taught us first and quickly. And then as soon as those lessons are learned, we're in a much, much stronger situation where we can play the market. I liken it to Liverpool. They got rid of Mane and they instantly brought in Nunes. And now they're in a situation where their squad is pretty complete. If they bring in another midfielder, great. If they don't, it's not going to have a massive impact on their next season. But what that gives them the opportunity to do is, like you say, be patient and wait for the right deal to come along. I remember an Arteta comment he made a while ago, which was something on the lines of, it was to do with City or Liverpool, I can't remember which. And he said, these guys have been together for like six, seven years. And obviously thing, you know, things and personnel shift a little bit, but the core group, the sort of the, you know, at, uh, you know, for example, the sort of Hendersons and Firmino's and Mane's and Salah's and all, all those sorts of guys, for at least four or five years, you know, with each other, playing with each other. I never like to project too far in the future. I think, you know, if we saw our squad in, say, the 28-29 season or something like that, we'd be going, what the fuck happened? It would be a, com- it would be a completely different group. I doubt anyone's going to be here. It might be, you know, one or two from, from this period. Because we project forward and we go, oh, so, we, you know, we've got 22-year-olds and they'll be here for the next 10 years. And I j- it just never, ever works out like that. And I think it's about completing the squad, as you say, and it's about going, okay, complete the squad and then we can handle situations. And then we're in a situation where we go, we don't need to sell. Man City, while I agree that Gabriel Jesus, um, and we'll talk about him in a minute and why I think he's such a good fit. I'm doing an article about him at the moment. Um, why why I think the Jesus deal, it's a fee we're going to have to pay. Um, I'm not crazy about it. I'm also, you know, I, I also understand it. But they're in no need to. They have no need to sell. They 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 don't need the money. They've got Erling Haaland coming in. You know, Jesus has got another year on his deal. And then if he goes at the end of it, well, he goes at the end of it. They're, <laughs> they're not bothered. So they're not in a position where they're in a, a strong position and they have a complete squad. When you know that a club doesn't want players like Pablo Mari, Lucas Torreira, Hector Bellerin, you know, different players and, you know, fine players in, in different systems, et cetera, et cetera, but players that don't fit, Nicola Pepe from from people in our squad this season, you're not in a strong position in the market. And then, and then I think you're right, is as much as, as I've said before, and I keep saying I'm happy to play the market if it gets the right deal, it does mean that you have to move quickly to try and, if you can, to try and get that squad complete. So it's good to see. It's good to see. And, and I think, as I say all the time, forget about first 11s, forget about that first, you know, so slotting people in. It's about having a squad that can be competitive on all levels and creating a group of players who can play together, hopefully grow together. And that will shift. But that core group, there's, there's enough of a core group every single year who've played together for enough of time, uh, a long enough time to be able to, to, to create some quality and some unity. So, Look, credit to them. And we're moving so quickly. And you, you, I remember, have you seen that video of Rory Jennings? Oh, um, God, losing his head. <laughs> and it's it's nice. It's nice to feel like that club again. Do you know what I mean? It's nice to feel like that club who's, I don't want to say outsmarting the market. We're not doing that. We can't see that till two or three years down the line. But at least making waves in the market. And, and as you know, the riling up of other fans is fun. But actually, the bit that's that's exciting for me is is how decisive we're being. Now, look, being decisive can also mean you walk off a cliff. But I think 
when looking at the targets, which we'll come on to in the players that we're signing, it's really it's really encouraging. Absolutely. And you you just have to consider that we've gone from a club who complains about how you know, little money we spend and, and yada, 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 and not, not ever bringing enough in to now having rival fans saying that our FFP is going to be tight and all of this shit. You know, it's a massive dynamic shift and it could have been informed by a few things. I think that the Chelsea um, acquisition and how much uh, they sold Chelsea for uh, is probably going to make any owner of a top-level football club realise if they add a little bit extra of their own money and start to become a bit more successful, they have a much, much more attractive and, and, and a much higher valued asset. And so it's kind of serendipitous in the best of both worlds for, for Kroenke if this team does well and then the the the, the club itself goes up in value. Um, but it, it's great to see not only decisiveness, decisiveness, like you say, but strategy that is so obvious that that strategy and the decisiveness is leading this to be one of the best Arsenal windows I've ever seen if it all comes off obviously even Gary Neville can see the strategy mate yeah it's um it is very very exciting and and to move on I think the players that we're signing make so much sense to me and I wanted to talk about Gabriel Jesus for a little bit News broke uh, Friday, early Saturday, maybe maybe late Friday. I can't remember exactly what it was that Arsenal had agreed a, uh, you know, and depends who you believe, but verbal agreement or full agreement. And some people are saying it's done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Basically, it looks as though he's close. And there was briefing from Spurs to the media that their interest had cooled, which I think is hilarious. It's such didn't fancy your anyway energy. Um, but more importantly, the player. Arsenal, if you look at our field tilt over the last sort of three seasons, Arsenal are continuously trying to play further up the pitch. And we've signed players who can progress up the pitch. Ramsdale, Partey, White, even Gabriel to some extent, uh, Erdegaard. These are progressive players, whether they're, you know, and Saka on the, you know, carriers or, or ball progressors or good passers or whatever it is. Players who can move you up the pitch and, and, and stay there. And the reason why that's relevant is because that means our, uh, what's the word, um, defensive actions in the final third are going to increase. And they have increased. And if you look at our increased, um, uh, our numbers over the past couple of seasons, they stayed relatively similar in terms of actions in the final third, defensive actions over sort of 1920 and 2021. I think it was around, I can't remember the number. And then it shot up this season. As we've signed forward, you know, front uh, uh, front thinking, forward footed, wrong way around, uh, front footed, forward thinking players who can get us forward and move us up the pitch. Now, if you're sitting further forward as a team, you have to then adapt that front line because you both need receivers and people who can press and carry out those actions in the final third. Now, if you want to get someone to press and receive in the final third, the man who Pep Guardiola called the best pressing forward in the world is not a bad shout, right? He, and I want to talk about a couple of things. We all know he's pressing. He is a great presser and the numbers are there. He's a fantastic presser. That's kind of not what I want to, want to talk about. If you look in the wide areas, he can drift out wide and receive on both the right and the left and his balls in. There's a one for Bernardo Silva in, earlier on in the season, which was unbelievable. He's a really creative player as well. And he can receive on both flanks and receive in the middle because it doesn't matter how progressive you are if you don't have players there who are in front of the ball who can receive it. The other thing is if you're trying to squeeze up a team in terms of your defensive line, you also tr want to try, if you can, to try and squeeze them from the front backwards. And Jesus is elite. If you want, I, I lost count of how many clips I watched of him coming back and picking up a ball, you know, not necessarily losing the ball, but sometimes losing the ball, but coming back to the midfielder, coming back to the defender who's striding out, nicking the ball and playing forward. His, some of his shot numbers are, and his XG, you know, he's underperforming his XG to some degree. But if you start looking at the numbers more widely, he's something like the seventh best minutes to, to goals ratio in Premier League history. I saw that the other day. I, I couldn't believe that. He's Man City's third all-time top scorer. You know, he has been there a while, but it's, it is a notable stat. 
I just think this guy is going to absolutely explode. And if he, if he, uh, supposedly the the rumor rumor is that uh, basically Edu has guaranteed him a starting place. If all those things slot into place, we are, we could genuinely be seeing the start of a serious serious team here. And the more I watch Jesus, I'm less convinced about say a Rafinha. I'm less convinced about Yuri Tielemans, but that guy is exactly what we need. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. And it, it won't even just be him that explodes. The impact that this will have on Martinelli's output, on Saka's output, on, on Smith-Rowe's output, um, Fabio Vieira, you know... We, we will start to see some serious output from these players because so often this this season just gone, they were so easily kicked out or marked out of a game and there was so much space centrally that just wasn't being exploited. And that is something that he can offer as well as interchanges on that left or right-hand side. And and deli- and you know, like you say, expert deliveries in. He's a, he is a multifaceted talent that... that just is so exciting for for us to to get and i um yeah i i just i i feel i I think we've we've gotten very lucky in this market because if you look at what's available and some of the fees that are being talked about as well it's you know 40 million euros for a for a guy from sassuolo who's had i think one full season this guy has been in the Premier League for, for five or six years working Four-time under... Four-time Premier League winner, mate. <laughs> yeah, literally working under someone who people can... Who people... A lot of people consider the best manager of of all time, you know, has already worked under our manager. There's going to be no language issues. There's going to be no adaptation issues. I think this deal makes sense on every single level we can discuss it. And then when you consider there's just the elite talent that he is, it's it's a real um, it's a real fork in the the road moment for Arsenal. I feel like getting this signing over the line takes us down a completely different path than if we'd gone and say got Skamaka. This and and we're gonna we're gonna need some other signings, but this turns us into serious contenders quite quickly. I think so too, mate. And I've been thinking over the past. I mean, I'm fucking obsessed with football my entire life. Uh, but I've been thinking specifically over the past couple of weeks about that tall forward thing. And I was really invested in it. And I really felt as though we need some aerial threat. But watching Jesus in the air, there's a, there's a game, uh, there's a Palace game where he gets a good header and it's his movement in the box, mate. That's all it is. It's also, there's a Real Madrid, I think it's the first leg at the Bernabeu. I can't remember which campaign it was, it doesn't really matter. There's a game where basically Jesus scores an equaliser quite late on in the game. And he gets a run on Ramos just by using his body perfectly. What is he, 5'9", I think he is, five five between 5'8 five, and 5'10", something around there. A tall 5'7", maybe. But he's he's not tall. And he's able to make some space and make some separation. And it's his movement that gets him around. So, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Cedric Suarez's delivery. <laughs> I'm thinking of, you know, Erdegaard in the left or right right, right half space. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, Fabio Vieira whipping balls in. You know, there is some real dynamics starting to appear in this team and having some movement in the box and having some front footedness who can get in behind is going to as you say really shift the dynamics in this team and that changes my thoughts on a tall forward because I'm going okay who do you get then who do you get as a tall forward you either get a, a wide man who can play through the middle is that exactly what we want is there someone out there who's perfect for it? You know, Cody Gakpo gets gets mentioned I purely because I haven't really looked into it. He's the type of forward, but I don't know anything about him really. There's, you know, the kind of Calvert-Lewin-esque leading the line type player. Has he got the technical level? Concerns about his fitness, not sure. And as you say, you look around the market and I'm going, one, is there a tall forward out there? And two, shouldn't we just be worrying about technical level? 
because we are asking players to play in inches, as we say, that we're asking players to play in smaller and smaller spaces. We need better and better te- technical players to actually hold on to the ball, keep us high, keep us there. And if we have some six foot lump up front who keeps bouncing off, I'm just, I saw actually earlier on today that Giroud signed on this day 10 years ago. Loves Giroud, but his technical side of his game has improved so much over his over over his career to a point where he now knows exactly how to use his body. So if we got someone like that at 26 years old, great. But there isn't someone out there. So I'm I'm just thinking if we can get someone technical who can move in the box, a la Ajota, I think it's the right way to go. So so as much as you know, for example, if we did go in and get a Calvert Lewin now. I can't see how we would, but say for example, we didn't we didn't get Nketiah and we went out and got a Calvert-Lewin or a tall forward, I would then be going, okay, see what's going on here. But based on Arsenal's movements in the market, I understand the way we're going and I actually think it's probably the way Arteta will continue to go. My quick thought on that one, before we move on, are you worried about the size of this team or do you think it's just technique and that's all we need to worry about? Uh, as in, as in, am I worried about the height size? The height of the team. Okay. No, not at all. Because I think it also, it also depends what the specific uh, avenues to to score is. We might decide that when we cross the ball from now on, we're going to do hard driven low balls and cutbacks. And that's it. We might not take the option to float the ball into the box. And, the, you know, those moments where we are going to float the ball into the box, you know, you imagine deep free kicks, corners, free kicks on either side of the box. Well, we'll stick Gabriel, we'll stick Ben White, we'll stick Tommy Asu or Saliba or whoever up in the box. We scored however many goals from from corners this season, a massive improvement on what it's, what it's been for us in the past few years. So I think if we're not making an effort in free-flowing open play to to float crosses in, I don't see any problem with having a lot of technically secure players who are close to the ground. Um, in the midfield area, I feel like there needs to be a little bit of steel. And, you know, we've got Partey, who's not small. I wouldn't mind if, say, for example, the the, the player that we got to, to replace Granit Xhaka on that left side was a bit more of a physical specimen just to, again, beef us out a little. But... It's not something I'm incredibly worried about because what technical security gives you over just pure, you know, physicality is it's all well and good being big, massive, tall and strong. But if you can't get the ball from underneath someone, all you can do is foul them. And then we're going to stick our brick shit houses of centre backs up and try and get a header on goal. So, no, I'm, I'm not particularly worried in any, any way. I think that height could be a useful second option in one of the three forwards positions but uh, it's not something that i'm i'm itching for yeah 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 the, uh, yeah I, I think in the midfield on the midfield thing i would like that as well actually weirdly that kind of leads us on but i i, I would like that as well but i just don't think arteta is gonna do that i can't see it happening i think it might be a kind of fan-led eyes on the game we're losing the battles. Where's where's the mentality kind of thing when actually, you know, it's technical and tactical stuff that we just can't even see. So, you know, look, keeping the ball is always going to be the better option, right? So so if that player is a physical specimen and really technically secure and, you know, up there with the Erdegaards and the possibly even the Vieiras now at the club in terms of technical quality, great. But I, I kind of see what you mean in terms of I wouldn't sacrifice the technical quality for the physical prowess, I don't think, anymore. Maybe I would have six, seven years ago, but I I can't see that happening. I wanted to move on before the break, quickly discussing Fabio Vieira and putting a putting a um, theory over to you, which I, I said we chatted about on WhatsApp this week, right? But I did want to say it on the podcast, um, this was all inspired by Clive um, on the Arsenal Vision podcast. You probably already listened to him. If you don't, unbelievable guy. Uh, tactical, technical views on the game. Unbelievable. I learned so much from him. The thing he said was this. We've signed Fabio Vieira for what? 20, 30 mil, right? He's not, He ain't coming in to be a backup. If we're looking at Rafinha, 
it means that we're likely going to be playing when Smith Rowe came in last season, he had to come a bit more on the interior. He wasn't going to beat someone on the outside. So it had to change the way we played. It means we were going long to Saka and it meant we didn't have receivers on both sides. We now may have receivers on both sides and it pushes us up on the wide forwards. Great. What that may mean is then, what would happen if Erdegaard swapped over and Fabio Vieira came into the right eight and was sort of the combiner with Saka because what you then have is Erdegaard and Fabio Vieira basically becoming part of that front five. So say, for example, it was Martinelli, Erdegaard on the uh, left-hand eight, uh, Jesus through the middle, Vieira in the right-hand eight, and Saka over on the right. So that's your front five. That's the five lanes Arteta always wants. Behind you, you've got essentially a 2-3-5. So you've got Partey in the midfield. You've got Lissandro Martinez inverting, who's a, who stops transitions. I haven't seen much of him, but but from what I've seen, he's, he stops transitions really well. He's a great defender, gets really close and tight. Tomiyasu on the other side, both players able to invert. And behind them, Ben White and Gabriel. Five behind, five in front of the ball. I can really see that happening if we get all those players in. It feels right to me. Fabio Vieira is better on the right. And the key part of all this is Martin Erdegaard dropping deeper because that's what he likes to do he likes to come to the ball he likes to take take it off the first line he likes to receive it and turn I don't see his qualities really in the attacking third you look he can deliver a final ball he can he can get us into the box he can progress it through the lines and he it's not to say you know he he at all is someone who's useless in the final third he's absolutely not but I think his best qualities are combining and getting us into that final third which is where I'd want him slightly further back than Fabio Vieira, who in Edu's interview about him said his best qualities come just before the final third and into the final third. What do you make of that? I really like that idea. I think it gives us balance. I think it gives us structure and it makes sense of all the signings that we're getting. As I say, not my idea, but I really love it. And I think it could possibly be um, the solution. But yeah, what do you think? And and sorry, and first 11 caveats aside, you know, in some phases, in some games. Of course, of course. I I wouldn't get so uh, kind of away from the idea that he might not start for us yet. You know, we, we think as Arsenal fans because we're so used to not spending money and we're so used to £30 million being a massive impact for us that... When we sign a player for that level of, of of cash, he he will be in that first eleven. I I'm not so sure. I don't know if he does come in and make an an instant impact. I think maybe it'll depend on whether we can shift some other midfielders out and and bring in Tielemans if we're still interested. I I agree with your five lanes though. I think that we we're, we're moving past the idea of the left back being one of the five attackers and it will be those two eights and and the three forwards in that kind of five channel system. But whether the, the the brilliant thing about it is the versatility of of a lot of those players. Erdegaard could still play on the right hand side with Saka, uh, and and do the job that he was doing last season. You know, doing both sides of it, and we could get somebody doing that on the left hand side, or like you say, he could drop to the left hand eight, be, become a bit more of a metronome for us. You know, dictating a bit deeper, even though he would be in one of those five lanes. I. I don't see Fabio Vieira starting straight away. I, I I can still see another central midfielder signing in us if we can get people out of the door. I think that's going to be that's going to be a question question of 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 outgoings, and I think that that's going to play a massive impact on on how this squad plays and how this squad looks next season. If, for example, we're we're struggling to get people out of the door. I wouldn't be surprised if we if we went for something like that. But if if the perfect world exists and all of the deadwood that we want to go goes and we get to get in our targets, I, I I could see him you know riding the bench for a bit because he does provide great cover on the right wing as well as on that right eight. So he's his versatility again might be a bit of his downfall in in the fact that he can cover so many positions rather than being an expert in one. Uh, especially when I think Erdegaard had such a good season last season. I wouldn't be uh, moving him straight away. But 
I, I honestly don't know with any any sense of security because we don't know what's happening in the market. Rafinha looks like it might happen. I I, I don't I, I don't know. And if if he comes in, that makes a massive difference. The same with Lissandro Martinez. You know, I think that will really get done. I've got real confidence in that. But if it doesn't, it it will massively change the setup. So. I like the idea and I think it's really clever because like you say, Erdegaard is amazing at, at picking it up off the first line and getting us to the final third. And I've not seen much of, of Fabio Vieira, but like you say in the interview, he seems to be more of a final third player. And, and that that's one of the things that we need. We need more players who can, who can pick those passes and break those blocks. Um, but I think it's, it is. It's far too early to to tell. You know, it, it's it's amazing that we're getting to have these conversations at the end of June because yep. normally we'd be having these conversations on deadline day about well, what if we brought in <laughs> these three players because you know we haven't signed anyone. Jan and Veer. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. And you're right about the conversations being had now. And I also think on the versatility point makes a lot of sense and it means we can shift around in game the five subs thing means there might be lots you know we we have principles we know what we want to do and it's just about then shifting around the personnel to 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 suit the opposition so yeah i i I, i'm open to lots of things i agree with you that i think the five lanes will no longer be the left back i think that just creates a bit of an imbalance and can leave us short there or on the other side depending on how we shift over so yeah we'll see uh look we'll go to the break we'll come back and we'll be discussing Rafinha, uh, William Saliba, of course, and a bit of Lissandro Martinez, possibly. My favourite topic. Get to it. <laughs> William Saliba, Brad. It's your big moment. Come we'll see on! You. After this. Welcome back to the second part of the show. Thank you to those of you who support us on Patreon. On patreon.com forward slash if not, you get access to ad-free versions of the post-game, preview, and TDK short podcast for just £3 a month. <gasps> but the most important part is you're supporting the podcast, YouTube, and more for the price of less than a coffee a month and helping us grow. It really would mean the world. Speaking of coffee, for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash if not, where you can... Buy me a coffee. Coffee. The links are in the show description. The Rafinha, go, <laughs> Rafinha. Okay, um, I, I can go if, yeah, if go you on. like. One thing that um, that that I think is fascinating and kind of almost ignoring the five subs aside is that a lot of modern forward-thinking clubs have been creating a front four rather than you know, especially if they're playing a four-three-three, creating that that um, almost interchangeable system of four players who can come in and out for each other uh, whilst keeping the system the same. And I think Rafinha is, is probably puzzle bit number four for us. And we would have Martinelli, Rafinha, Saka and Gabriel Jesus because I find it no surprise that Rafinha c- could do both left and the right wing. I think that that's probably one of the reasons that he is so attractive as a, as a proposition for us as a, the player I've only ever seen him when he's kind of been up against us. Um, but you know, sensational output. One of the main reasons that, that Leeds didn't get relegated this season with the horrendous levels of injuries that they had. Um, you know, a fun fact that he clocked up like the second most nutmegs in the league. And it, it, it's, it's a statement signing. It's it's a it that it's a level raiser for me. It's especially with the talent that we have in 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 those kind of forward wing areas. It's being able to go. No, we're going to slap down sixty million quid on this because we can for one, and because it, it instantly just makes us so much better. And if it does happen, I think it's it's again. I I can't help but think back to to Josh Kroenke's be excited because for the first time I think since he said that. The news that's coming out has me excited about what we're doing and the way that we're moving as a football club. And Rafinha, you know, as a as a target, even if the move doesn't come off, it shows that we're ambitious. It shows that we're trying to be. And I, I think hopefully it will come off. I think he he definitely raises the levels and increases the competition and, and takes us from a team that's been so reliant on children to a team that 
then is quite strong in negotiation standpoints when negotiating new contracts for those children because we're not going to be beholden to them anymore. You know, they're not going to be the only people that we can play to get a good result. We will have other options. So uh, I think it's a bloody smart signing from all around. And I have to give props to the, to the, like, I've given some shit to Edu and he's deserved it for signing fucking Willian on however much a week and, and, you know, cooking him a barbecue twice a month. But they've, they've really turned a corner and that's been really, there's been a real palpable difference in the quality of the work that seems to be happening. And I think on your your children point, it's no coincidence to me. Rafinha's 25, I think he is. Tielemans is 25. Martinez is 24. Jesus is 25. It's what we were saying basically pre-window that we should start to look at those guys who are just pre-peak, the sort of, when they got them, I know it's boring, but Mane and Salah ages when they came to Liverpool, that sort of age, just pre-peak players who can provide respite for for those young players because we ju- we cannot afford another season where those guys are expected to carry us completely, um, and they also get to hold us to ransom, especially at that age. You know they've got agents around them who, you know, I'm not saying they don't know their own minds. They they do. I think it's patronising to young people, but they have a lot of people probably willing to gamble with their career because they know they've got five, six possibly contracts in them and they want to get around as much as possible and get as many signing fees as as they can. So I think it's good to get some senior heads in there who are, as I say, just pre-peak. And then on Rafinha, more specifically, I think we miss a bit of nastiness. I've said this for a while. I think Arsenal miss a bit of a sort of I remember him playing against us, against Leeds, and there's a toxic side to this, the kind of petulance. But I love that, like, we're fucking losing and I hate this. That's what it felt like to me. Mm. And I love that. I love that. And I think that comes out in his play. He's very direct. He's very aggressive. He's very quick. He's very tricky. And having someone, especially, you know, (laughs) considering the last time we spent money on a previously French league uh, winger about to come into their sort of prime years. Um, we were looking at Nicola Pepe. So, you know, it's good. It's good that this, this all feels like it's making sense. And as I said earlier, you know, on the field, he's a great receiver. He can play both sides. He's got both feet. He's quick. When I watch him, my first thought was Bukayo Saka. The way he stands up from challenges that you don't think he can stand up from, the way he uses his body the way he combines and controls. I think he's a really, really interesting prospect. And I think he's been in the league long enough. You know, if you think about that Leeds team last year, how he got the numbers he got and how, you know, Bamford was out for however long, you know, Phillips was out for however long. He He was basically carrying that team. And I think there's a certain value in plucking someone who has carried a team before and saying, look, come in here, mate. You've got some quality around you. You've got Jesus. You've got a whole Portuguese-speaking community here. And there's a group of you who can really grow together as a team. And as I say, you know, it's that core thing. It's it's at least every year having a core number of players who play together for a significant number of time. And he can be here for a while. And look, he may come, he may head off to Barcelona in a couple of years, but hopefully with the contract management and as we talked about earlier with squad management if you're not in a position where you need to sell because you've managed the contracts you're you know you're up at the upper end of the table you've got players who can come in for those players you've you know you you, you aren't <laughs> uh, thank you to those that have or- two hours later we're back yeah look all i was saying was that we we hopefully with the squad management and with the continued turnover and some you know, some some proper additions. We're not in a position anymore. We have to sell to, you know, <laughs> keep up the stadium repayments or whatever. You know, we're in a strong position. Um, so if it happens, we'll get a good fee, I hope. Um, so yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see any downside. And I think spending that much money on a player like him is a real sign of intent. It's a real sign of intent. And it's exciting. I mean, that's ultimately what this is. Football is emotions and you want to get out there and you want to play the game and you want to see good players. And I don't, why complain about this deal? You know, great player. So yeah, really happy with it. 
And with and then with five subs, you know, the amount of game time everyone is going to be able to get, it makes signing this guy even more of a of a brilliant option. Because we're not we're not beholden to only three three changes anymore, you know. Uh, and whatever your opinions are on that, f- fine. But but it it's happening, and we as a club have sometimes been too slow to move with the times. This is very much a signal that we are cottoning on to the way that things work and and changing with them, which I think Absolutely. is really good from us. Bradley, uh, William Saliba, go. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just simple, clever business, isn't it? He's a great asset, just one League One play, uh, young player of the year. Uh, looks like an absolutely sensational talent. Um, covers a couple of different positions for us, and it means that we haven't. If we can get him to agree to a new contract, it means that we haven't, you know, wasted the thirty million pounds of outlay. And if it doesn't work, I can still see us making that money back on him. I, I. I I have no qualms with this. I think it's 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 really smart business from the club. You know, things seems to seem to be progressing progressing well in the talks, according to you know everyone's favourite ITKs. But you know, I my my opinion's always been very clear that I think he's an absolutely great and talented player. He's just very young, um, so it will be good to have that development here next year. So we can give players like Ben White, who again was was another one who looked absolutely bloody, just dead on his feet, absolutely ruined by the end of the season. So we don't have to put ourselves in a situation where you know the first goal against Newcastle happens because Ben White isn't fit enough and doesn't have the recovery pace to get back. We're not in that situation if we have somebody who is fit, available, and ready who plays in a similar style. I just think it's really smart. Yep. Yeah, it's and it's protecting value and it's something that we've I remember having a podcast where I really I was really frustrated that Arsenal weren't controlling the narrative around Saliba because it was basically and I always think, you know, do clubs really care what the media are saying? But to some degree, I think over a long period of time, it does matter. Maybe they just thought, well, this is a single point, you know, it's a single thing, who cares? But I do like clubs like Man City and I appreciate they're in a very different position who tend to be pretty quiet. There's not much media scrutiny around them. I appreciate they have lots of money, but the way they handle their business, the way they, you know, the way players exit their clubs, the way people enter their clubs feels with it from the media perspective, pretty straightforward. You know, City are interested. They're after this player. They get the player, players in, no problem. There's not much of a circus. And if you look at Man United, and I appreciate you look behind the door and it's FFP and all that sort of stuff, but I'm talking on the, on the surface level, right? The kind of circus going on at Man United, they need some PR people. They need some comms people coming in and going, look, how do we not make United look like clowns? You don't, for example, have Sky Sports tweeting out Christian Eriksen is choosing between Brentford and Man United. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not, you can't control everything, but you, you get to that point. And with Saliba, I think Arsenal are in a position where now, hopefully, they hold more of the cards. He's back in. He's back in training. Hopefully, he'll be acclimatized to the to the situation. Hopefully, Arteta will, you know, speak to him as he speaks to the other players, and and he'll feel included and wanted, and he'll get you know a squad number he'll get to keep, and and all that sort of stuff, and be played. And at that point, whether he signs a contract extension before the, before the. Uh, the season kicks off, which I'd be very surprised by, but you know, hopefully once the season kicks off, he gets enough games. I think there's enough space for him as a cover for Gabriel. I think he could play in the Tomiyasu role. Um, ben White, I think there's a lot of spaces in that back line he could cover and play and play for if he's if he's if he's good enough. Um so I think Arsenal are beginning to hold the cards again. And it's again about squad management. I mean, everything comes back to it, doesn't it, in the end. It's sort of, as long as you're managing things correctly and you're three, four years ahead of the curve, which is hard, by the way, but you can predict things. You can go, okay, they've got three years left. We need to start thinking about it. Okay, two years left. We need to get it done. Okay, one year left. What what, what are we going to do? If you manage to do that, you can have a pretty healthy squad and, and no real dramas and problems. And that's what the likes of City do. That's what I'd like us to see doing, to see us doing, sorry. Because otherwise you get held to ransom. You know, I saw... Um, some Man United fans, I think it was yesterday, basically going, 
How have I, where have Arsenal got all this money? And I'm going, you guys pay, what's your, what's their wage structure? Jaden Sancho on 350 grand a week. Who else have they got? I mean, it's an absolute mess. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Partey, I think, is our top, top pay player, about 160k a week. Some places say it's like 180 or 200. Doesn't even get into their top 10, mate. Edison Cavani's on 250 a week. Anthony Martial's on 250 a week. Uh, Rashford's on 200. Maguire's on 190. You know, Varane's on 340. De Gea on 375. Ronaldo on 500 grand a week. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Fucking Ahmad Diallo is on the same wage as Fabio Vieira. Who is Ahmad Diallo? Isn't Scott McTominay on 20 grand? I mean, you know, it's, yeah. and he's one of their starting players. It's an absolute mess. Anyway, we can we can dunk on United all day. But the point being that managing these these situations is the way to go. And and staying ahead of the curve and, and looking at those contract situations and going, how do we manage that? Because the, that gets the talent on the pitch. That's all that matters. Getting the talent on the pitch and getting them in a good system and getting them going, having players available. This is why, you know, I, I'm always ruthless with with the likes of Tierney because I'm going, look, Tierney, great player. But if he can't be on the pitch, he's eating wages. He's taking a spot. It's an opportunity cost. Love him, but he's got to go. And, and I don't think he fits tactically, but I've said that many times. So I think with the Saliba situation, if we can handle that, it's only positive. And if not, get rid of him, 30 mil, 25 mil in, the, in January, whatever, to Marseille. And look, it's probably not worked out as a deal, but I always say look back and, you know, if 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 we'd managed to sign Saliba at the right time, you know, what not with that executive structure change, and that was exactly the player that we wanted, et cetera, et cetera, we're in a stronger position. So we've just we've just ended up with a a tricky situation, which I I think and I hope we've managed well, well well to some degree. I, I appreciate we forgot the paperwork on the final day for Nice or whatever it was. Um, are beginning to manage better, let's say that. So it can only be a positive, and I'm I'm actually really excited to see him play in an Arsenal shirt. I don't know how you feel, but it 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 feels like a a big thing for next season, and the makeup of our squad is going to be very very different. Absolutely. And all of those, all of these things will just hopefully create a determination in the lad that he wants to do well for us, you know, to prove us wrong for whatever reason. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him actually play in an Arsenal shirt. I think that there's going to be so many opportunities for him to play next season. So it's it's a really, really exciting season ahead. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like so often it, uh, in the last few years, it hasn't been even even I think last season to a degree wasn't especially at this point of the season even after we'd done all of our transfer business I wouldn't call it like excitement I think intrigue was probably a better word whereas this season actually feels like you know there's 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 massive amounts of excitement and, and jeopardy and an emotion moving forward for this season, which is, again, doing a great job of reconnecting fans to the club, which is exactly what, you know, they've set out to do in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you look at Luis Campos coming into PSG and he immediately gets Xavi Simon signed down to a new long term deal. You know, th- these are moves of proper clubs. Um and clubs that know what they're doing. Um, just two more things I think we should discuss. Uh, first is some perhaps less interesting news, but Daniel Ballard uh, was signing for Burnley. Uh, now I'm told that that deal is, um, I'm told as if I haven't, <laughs> no one's told me, I've, I've looked at it. Uh, basically Ballard was, at, uh, was basically doing a medical, was in Burnley, but terms couldn't be agreed. The reason I mention it though, is we had a first refusal on his contract, again, stuff like that. I'm just starting to see things and we go, yeah, good, smart club. You know, it's simple stuff. It may knock 20 grand off the off the transfer fee, but if we can get first refusal, if he, you know, becomes a Premier League regular and absolutely smashes it at Burnley, we get that first refusal and um, and we and we have the choice at least. And it's it's that sort of stuff that's the smart stuff that we we should should be doing. So credit to the club. Finally, Brad, Mike Riley is stepping down from the PGMOL. I never thought this day would come, my friend. (laughs) 
And apparently there's big revolutions coming to the Premier League refereeing uh, culture. <sighs> needed. Needed. I mean, he is being replaced by Howard Webb, so I don't, <laughs> don't know how much we should celebrate. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it's needed. And at least there's a shakeup. At least there's a sort of representative idea that that change it's a, the, the, the PGMOL at least aware change needs to happen see what I mean in terms of the standard of refereeing it's going to take a long time because you don't get experience experienced referees don't come out of nowhere but there's got to be some kind of um, more consistency in the league there's got to be as I always say about refereeing the game and the situation that's happening rather than refereeing this fictional game on the training match in your refereeing course you know, managing occasions like the North London derby, is it right to send Rob Holding off and take the take the competition away from us? Um, or just from any club? No, I'm not even saying that as an Arsenal fan. Um, but lots of change needed. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on refereeing, but um, and you'd love it, frankly. Oh, mate, we'd get some great content. I think my head would actually <laughs> fucking explode. <laughs> uh, any Any further thoughts on Mike Riley? Um, very bold unbelievably um, like there's no there's not even a you know how like some bald men have to shave their head because there's a few hairs he's the only bald man that I know that is like there's nothing there just like his ability to be a referee there's nothing there <laughs> oh Brad no hang on I'm looking at Mike Riley he's got a bit of hair it's sort of Carl Pil- Pilkington-esque oh Mike he's got a little bit of hair mate Give him, give him his juice. Give him his juice. Bless him. Uh, right, Brad, we just got time. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Lovely. Uh, I asked you last time, <clears throat> well, a few times ago now, because we've uh, fell off Arsenal trivia, but we're back. The thing was internationals. And I asked you, how many non-penalty goals does Harry Kane have against top 10 international sides in competitive matches? One? Two? It is exactly one, Brad. And do you know which one it was? Germany. It was the one against Germany that Grealish served him on a plate in the Euros. (sighs) Your question for next week is, theme is internationals in, in relation to Arsenal. And the question is, how many Arsenal players in the modern era, and I'm taking that as the 90s onwards, the modern era, have won the World Cup. How many players, while playing for Arsenal, Arsenal players in the modern era from the 90s onwards, have won the World Cup? Bradley, a pleasure as always. Enjoy the sun. Thank you very much. Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different knock. And we will see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks. Podcast Network.